welcome to episode 15 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Sibelius and Vaughan Williams. Hello! Hello! Welcome! My name is Chris Bland. And my name is Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 15 of That Classical Podcast. Don't sound so surprised. I am hugely surprised. It's <laughs> half of 30. I'm impressed. Uh, what are we doing today, Chris? Today, we're doing an episode whereby we talk about two composers. Mm-hmm. And those two composers today are going to be Jean Sibelius and Rafe Vaughan Williams. Oh my days. I'm excited. I'm super excited. I'm take excited because purely by coincidence, I went to a concert this week that was purely Sibelius and Vaughan Williams, <laughs> and it was probably one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Oh my god, well I can't wait to hear more about that. I'm full of beans, I'm full of excitement. <laughs> Every type of bean. All of the beans. Mm. Excellent. Well, should we just uh, launch in? I think we should. Should we start with Mr. Sibelius? Yes. Uh, right, so viewers, listeners of all sorts... If you're a big fan of our show, which I hope you are, you know that every time we do two composers, we do a 60-second biography. Yeah, we do! And uh, we have a little jingle. It is as follows. 60 seconds. Time to talk in 60 seconds. Now. Delightful. We're nailing it. We're getting more and more professional with that. Nailing it. So, right. Are you ready to time me? I'm super ready to time you. Okay. Okay, you got it ready? Oh, my God. Okay. Ready, steady, go! Johann Trudian Christian Sibelius was born in December 1865 in Hermelina in the Grand Duchy of Finland. His dad died of typhoid when he was three, so he was raised in a super female environment with his uncle as a father figure and musical advisor. Sib was a musical kid who wanted to be a proper sick violinist, but eventually he was like, nah, composition is da bomb. He studied at Helsinki Institute, continuing in Berlin and Vienna, where he started work on Kulervo in 1891. More on that later. But this suite was premiered in 1892 and was a huge success. 1892, Sib also married. He focused on orchestral music and premiered another suite, Karelia, in 1893, which was kind of okay. 1899, Sib started his first symphony because he was feeling super patriotic because Russia's Nikki II was trying to murk he became a national hero with works like Finlandia, the Second Symphony. It was well received. Sid bloody loved whining and dining. Racked up bills, bills, bills. 1904 uh, finished uh, violin concerto, but it was crap. Uh, 1907, Sib still bloody loves whining and dining. Champagne lobster, you name it, loves it. Uh, got sick, bad times. Got clean. Started Third Symphony. Got throat cancer. Got clean again and wrote Fourth Symphony. 915 deeper into debt. 917 back on the source. 1919 shaves all his hair. 925 writes to Tempest. Doesn't really do a lot after that. Died in 1957 from a brain hemorrhage at 91 at the time Five. of his death. His Fifth Symphony was being broadcast from Helsinki. <laughs> Did you understand it? Literally not a word. <laughs> okay. In, in previous ones, I've been like, okay, I'm, I'm picking it. All I got was that he shaved his head and then went back on the source. At and that's point. all you need. That's that's, that's all pretty he much did. all you need. Uh, shave that head. Okay, so give me like one one good nugget out of that unintelligible stream of consciousness. Um, yeah. So, so he was a big whiner and diner. He was a big whiner and diner, Chris. He uh, he loved the the old booze. He loved lobster. Ooh, apparently and basically racked up a ton of debts and um, <laughs> lobster, lobster yeah pretty debt. much that is not a good thing uh, <laughs> to put on your gravestone um but yeah he he had to do you know some some work for people just to some like commissions just to just stay to afloat pay them bills. his wife absolutely bloody hated it they had like six kids to support oh, wow. um but the moral of this story is that Sibelius did some absolutely incredible things. Also, what I couldn't mention, I didn't have time. His, so his full name, if you heard, was <coughs> Johann Julius Christian Sibelius. Strong. But after high school, he was like, no, because my seafaring dead uncle's card says Jean. And that's what, what? I want to be called that's now. That's the most pretentious thing in the world. I love it. So, that's so good. Go. Whatever, Jean. Whatever. <laughs> You do you. So, so yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. (laughs) Also, I I need to have a confession time for all our listeners and to you. 
So, as you know, Chris, yeah. I am not exactly an oracle slash Buddha in classical music, right? Okay. <laughs> and uh, until a few years ago, I was like, oh, Sibelius. Uh, is that a computer program? I mean, um, how but... do I make a semiquaver? I don't know. Um, and, For those yeah. you don't know, Sibelius is also like a music notation yeah. software. It was like, That's fine. You don't need to know how to pronounce things. You know the first time you read Harry Potter and everyone thinks it's Hermione? I never did. It's that. It's I always knew it was Hermione. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, look, listeners, I'm learning with you. Let's go on this journey together. Good. Tell me about Jean Sibelius. Okay. Jean Sibes. <laughs> okay. Right, I've set myself up for a fall this time, lads, because um, I have to pronounce loads of Finnish names. <laughs> Speaking of mispronouncing things, <laughs> yeah. Finnish, famously not the easiest language. You are welcome. <laughs> so we're going to dive into the first piece, which is called Perjola's Daughter. Oh, that was really good. Thank you very much. Not Pajola's um, Daughter. I have literally been like, Pajola for the last five days. So you're welcome. I googled per- it this morning. Perjola. 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 And it's, uh, I'll tell you all about it. Okay. So basically... Um, this is known, this kind of piece is known as a tone poem, mm-hmm. which is basically, and I've never heard of this like word, it's basically a piece of orchestral music which really illustrates and evokes the content of a poem or a painting uh, or even mm. a landscape or, you know, short story, whatever. We've you know? kind of had that before with Ravel, Scheherazade. He sometimes sure. described that as a tone poem. Right, yeah. there you go, that's yeah. it. Uh, just so that we're clear. <laughs> and um, Sibby composed this in 1906 Sibby. and it's a super duper winner. Um, so the other title of it, is the daughter of sorry daughter of the north mm-hmm. um so Perkula, i guess is sort of a northern part of finland as far as i can tell sure um okay. and it's based on a passage from the kalevala okay which is a work of epic poetry by elias lönnrot oh very good you're welcome what's in this epic piece of poetry so it's like basically full-on folklore and mythology it's like oh, the national epic of finland i love me some national do you know epics. what i mean do yeah. you know what i mean great Right, so the Kalevala, it consists of 50 runos, 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 uh, or, or canto, cantos. Um, and, okay, cantos, cantos. Cantos, cantatos. Um, and it's almost 23,000 lines of poetry, so well, I can't summarise people. No, You've got to Google it. Um, <laughs> but mainly, I believe, we follow um, Vina Mernin, who is this big old white bearded god hero man magic uh-huh. man who travels around having hijinks and um i also <laughs> shenanigans. read <laughs> shenanigans tom foolery um but also apparently he's the base he's what tolkien based gandalf on i know true true that double true okay so um he possesses like intense wisdom because he was Ooh, in the not just normal wisdom. no like right. intense okay, and yeah, like yeah. incredible wisdom because he was in the womb for 730 years oh, his poor mum it's, it's, poor yeah, mum it's poor mum you say that so I also read a little bit so she was floating around in the sea for all this time and then a duck laid eggs on her knee and then he was born and of course, then like of just went into the sea it's a famous way to Google induce labour <laughs> just get a duck to Google lay it. an egg on your knee um, so basically this is when he's an old man Mm. And not old man, he's just a man. Sure. And he's in the Kalevala, he's searching for a wife, which is the main theme of this piece, Perkula's okay. daughter. So it's based on Runo 8, and the title is Vina Murnan's Wound. So Vina Murnan spots a hot girl at the end of a rainbow. Yeah. And he's like, yep, come on, Miss Sledge, and be my wife. <laughs> and she's like, ah. I'm only going to do that if you complete this bizarre series of challenges. Oh, that's classic, like, mythology uh, Just stuff. do it. Just I love do it. it. Okay. So, uh, e.g., split a single horse hair with a knife without a point, right? T- my fave, what? tie an egg into an invisible knot. 
faith, build a boat and launch it without touching it. <laughs> it's it's the Tinder date from hell, lads. Uh, just sitting there. Yeah. Must be taller than six foot, good sense of humour, <laughs> can you tie an egg in an invisible knot? Um, I'm like- a Sagittarius. <laughs> Absolutely, that's my new bio. Um, so basically, uh, he actually Vinerman and Ledge does a lot of this, oh, nice. but then accidentally axes himself in the knee <laughs> and has to leave. It's a lot of knee-based so, bands. In yeah, this, it's like not an arrow to the knee; it's a full-on axe. Um, so, in summary, it's absolutely brilliant. And even though we can only play a very small amount of it, there are so many themes and colours and moods. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're going to hear is the moment, I, I reckon, my kind of mind thinks it's the moment that Vinerman and sees this uh, beautiful woman and she's so stunning. She's weaving in the sky at the end of this rainbow and he's loving it. So that's, I think, what we're going to hear now. Ooh. So, um, but listeners, tweet me. What do you think? <laughs> down on Miss Ledge and be my wife. <laughs> Is that what you heard, Chris? That's exactly what I heard. That's exactly it. Did you oh, like it? I love that. Yeah. So what I really enjoy about uh, Sabanus's orchestral writing personally is um, th- what he does with textures is really interesting. Mm. So quite often the strings will have a really really sort of textural part compared to the, the woodwind melody that we had over the top just then. Mm. So it'll be either really choppy Mixed yeah. in with some really nice sort of yes. legato lush chords. So exciting, isn't it? Just really, really clever how yeah. he uh, orchestrates his his parts. I think that's yeah. what I like. And about it, him. like within the orchestration, puts so much. Uh, it is like a tone poem. You do, you feel it's these, a poem. You feel <laughs> things. But yeah, um, so I hope you enjoyed that one. Indeed. And Persia. uh, Persia's daughter. daughter. You're welcome. Podcast next. Uh, it's Sibelius again because that's how it works. <laughs> that's how this episode um, works these days. So uh, this time we're going we're going uh, a little bit later in in Sibby's life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a piece called Andante Festivo or Festivo or however you want to say it. Um, <laughs> originally scored for string quartet in uh-huh. 1922. Okay. Um, it's just a single movement. Uh, and actually, he rescored it for a string orchestra and timpani in 1938, and that's the one Lovely. that we'll be hearing. And really interesting, it was um, first performed and broadcast uh, on the radio in 1939, and is the only recording of Sibelius conducting his own work. Oh, wow. Um, it's super interesting. It's not the one we're going to play, but yeah. I do suggest you go on YouTube and listen to it. It's quite a different interpretation to the one oh, we'll hear, okay. but yeah, yeah, well worth a listen. Because actually, and also, he'd been kind of MIA for like a decade by that point, remember? Because oh, yeah, after he, course, cause yeah. he wrote The Tempest in 1925, and then from 1926, just didn't really do a whole lot. <laughs> and actually, just sitting in a corner yeah, eating lobster and, somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> 
just lobstering himself into an early grave. Um, but um, yeah, basically, from pe- people didn't really rate him much in his later years. People in Finland did, didn't they? I they don't loved know, him. Like, a lot He's of a people, big Finnish dog. He just couldn't like whack him out like he used to. Do you know what <laughs> As I mean? It were. As you say. Um, yes. Um, anyway, so look, go and listen to that on YouTube. But so this originally. Do you remember I said, well, we know that he was kind of hurting for money a little bit. Because of all the lobster Because of all the lobster. Um, and, um, you know, you should just switch to, like, crayfish or prawns in that, in that case. <laughs> all those crab sticks made from fish. Anyway, look, so it was originally commissioned in 1922 by someone who wanted to have a 25-year anniversary of a sawmill. <laughs> so, so uh, which is weird because when you hear it, it's so beautiful. You just never imagine it's for a sawmill. Um, and so, yeah, it just it developed from 1922, and um, I think Sibelius used to listen to the radio a lot, mm. and he apparently wrote this with the the intention of trying to find a piece, make a piece that would not distort over the radio, like through the speakers, mm. something that could be played without a lot of the dis- the distortion that I guess people had to okay. deal with. Yeah. Um, I've explained it badly, but um, really interesting when you hear it. It's a slower piece, you know, It's there's not so much detail in yeah. there, but it's, it's a real banger. Let's just dive right in. Do it. One hell of a sawmill. <laughs> what a sawmill. Oh my God, it must have been beautiful as shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So one thing, or another thing I should say, apart from his orchestration that I really love about Sibelius, is that um, he was very stylistically unique. He really picked his own direction. Because at that time, lots of the prevailing writing was going against this sort of more tonal style so we had you're talking about the 20s and 30s yes yeah, so beginning of the 20th century we, you, you had your your Schoenbergs and people like oh, that God. Yeah. who were throwing out the rule book of traditional harmony whereas this to my ears sounds very much like the sort of follow-on from the romantic period totally. your sort of your Tchaikovsky's and stuff that we've had yes. it very much feels like a natural successor to that yeah. whilst being very unique to Sibelius yeah um but just really different to lots of what was going on at the time. Totally, like serialism and, and all that jazz, you know. Yeah, like this was... is the absolute not that. <laughs> yeah, and so it's really interesting that you said that he fell out of favour really during that time because it wasn't at all sort of trendy to be yeah, doing this sort Yeah, of that is probably a large reason for that. But, um, I mean, what a piece, even just in its own right, just even to listen to it. for a sawmill jingle. Like, <laughs> a sawmill jingle. Um, no bad, Sibelius. And um, yeah, obviously, as always, these are just, you know, it's this is not a great representation of all of his work. So go yeah, and listen to his symphonies. Stuff. Chris, what's your favourite sib piece? What would you recommend our listeners to oh, go God. to? Um, I think maybe the violin concerto that we put in our concertos episode the other day. Yeah. If you haven't yet listened back to that, listen to that just because <laughs> it's... it's oh, I mean, the episode and also the concerto. Yeah, no, nice. And also... Um, 
I don't know if I garbled it out in the 60 seconds, but if you want to hear quintessential Sibelius, go and listen to Finlandia. Of course. That is his, like, that's what made him an, a national hero overnight. <laughs> just uh, by writing a piece and Just by writing it. Finland. Finland. Yeah. Um, but go off and listen to that and you'll love it. And yeah, nice. That's a good podcast. La, 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 la. Righto, next up, we've got Mr. Vaughan Williams. Yeah, he's one of these guys that makes people call him Rafe instead of Ralph, isn't he? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's Rafe. It's like, look. His name is Rafe. Your name's Ralph. It's written Ralph, but 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 it said Rafe. Right. Rafe. Keep going. Rafe Vaughan Williams. Yeah. Okay, well, I've got my 60-second bio here, ready and raring to go. (laughs) Okay. Right, are you ready? For the 60-second. Second. Um, I'm getting the stopwatch out. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you steady? I'm as steady as I'll ever be. Go. Rayford Williams, born 1872, died in 1958. He was English, born to a very wealthy family. They were pretty socially progressive. Uh, he had piano lessons from the age of five. He went to school. He's like, yeah, that's all right, but I want to do music. So he went to the Royal College of Music. His family thought he wasn't really talented enough for a career in music. They still let him go. He still went to Cambridge after that, but then went back to the Royal College of Music, studying people like Hewitt Parry, Stanford, was passed with Gustav Holst. 1897, married Adeline. Uh, 1914, big pieces, Lark Ascending, London Symphony. Blah, blah, blah. Oh no, World War I. Uh, by this point, he was 42 years old, served in the war, affected him profoundly, so there's no music in the interwar years. A couple of years afterwards, 1922 was the first piece he wrote, which was Pastoral Symphony after Halfway. the war. <gasps> 1920s, um, Adeline started to get old and arthritic, so they moved out of London to Dorking. He was sad about this. 1930s, music gets a bit darker, ongoing war. Uh, 1938 has an affair with Ursula Wood, 39 years his junior, 10 year affair. We don't know if Adeline really knew, but the two were friendly, and Ursula was jealous because uh, Rafe was pretty loyal seconds. to Adeline throughout. Um, in 1951, Adeline dies. 1953, Vaughan Williams and Ursula married back to London. He wrote three more symphonies and Five died seconds. in 1958. Oh, oh my God, it's a record. It's 58 seconds. Oh, is it a bit too that, short, no, maybe? That was actually great. I feel like I learned a lot. Okay, good. Yeah, my favourite bit was, oh no, World War One. Yeah, it was through a real Darn. spanner in the works. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, great. Why don't you regale us with one of your favourite facts out of that? Yeah, so though, those are the two biggest, I guess, impacts on his life were World War One and this big old affair he had, this 10-year-long affair so, yeah, with a woman. What, what's that all about then? She was 39 years younger than him. Um, oh, oh, Rafe, why? So, but we, it's like, we don't really know what went on. So like... Ursula was there, but she and Adeline, like I said, they were friendly. Like, they knew each other. They knew that he was banging. Yeah, yeah. So in 1942, Ursula's husband died, and Adeline invited her to stay with the two of them in Dorking, like, to live with them for a while. Okay, hold up, hold up. Did they have a little kind of, like, posse? During air raids, they would all sleep in the same room in three adjacent (laughs) beds and hold hands. Uh, Who wrote that? Like, it's just what happened. Oh my God. And then, so, uh, a biographer of Vaughan Williams said that um, Adeline sort of appears in the most amicable way to have adopted Ursula as her successor. Like a Mormon family. Kind of. So it was like, we don't really know, but we do know again that Rafe was like really loyal to Adeline right into her death, like emotionally really loyal. Just was also bonking Ursula, but was also really emotional. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's weird. We're not I, entirely you know, sure. It's like one of those situations where you're like, that is super weird, but if they're happy, it's fine. It's so, <laughs> like, yeah. um, so let's launch what's into. Your first piece? <laughs> so what I'm going to talk about is going to be his sixth symphony, but okay. also about the the middle three of the symphony. So overall, he wrote nine symphonies, nine. which is a lot of symphonies. That is quite a few. Um, and so the middle three, four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. Number four arrives in 1935. 
um, and is a real departure from his previous style, which usually when you think of Vaughan Williams, you think of sort of nice, pastoral, lush, English, Mm. folk tunes, blah, blah, blah. Beautiful. Which he did very well. Very well. um, And which we'll go on to talk about a bit later. Mm. But so this is really sort of stormy and dissonant, sort of in the build-up to the war, but not necessarily programmatic. So he quite often resisted, like, readings of his symphonies. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a great quote that I'll hear with later from him. Lay it on me. So then, uh, Symphony Number 5, which he actually dedicated to our pal Sibelius. Oh, Um, Jean! That came in 1943. Okay. So we're talking in the midst of World War II, and the tone of this is very much more sort of... uh, It's consoling, it's quite sort of hopeful in its uh, melodic content. It feels just a lot more hopeful looking towards the future um, to the extent that so mm. I went the concert I went to earlier this week um, they performed five and six symphonies five and six in this concert did you cry? I didn't but uh, <laughs> the conductor was giving a pre-concert talk and mentioned that another time he'd given a lecture about this mm. about uh, the fifth symphony yeah. this little old hand went up um, and there was this lady being like I was there at the <laughs> premiere of it <laughs> And so she was, um, so it was in the proms, the BBC proms in 1943, and she was working for the BBC as like a sound engineer. Stop it! And so apparently all the like hardened sound engineers and stuff who'd heard everything and reading everywhere, they apparently all started weeping after they heard this because it was sort of, you know, 43, not a good time, blitz, everyone was kind of down in the dumps. Yeah. Grim as. Yeah. Um, Anderson Shelters. For example. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was a really sort of Spam. hopeful, <laughs> Keep going. really hopeful <laughs> looking towards the positive side of things. Yeah. But then, oh no, 1948, we get Symphony Number no. Six, which is what we're going to talk about today. Okay, right. Um, so what was really interesting? People thought that Number no. Five was Vaughan Williams basically saying goodbye. So he's 71 years old by the time he wrote uh, the Fifth Symphony. He's an old dude. Yeah, people thought it was sort of like valedictory, him saying goodbye. He's like the grand old man of English composition. Mm. And he was like, mm, nope, I'm going to keep continuing and wrote four more symphonies okay. before he died. Nice. Um, like Maggie Smith. She just keeps like, on going. Just keeps on just going. Just keeps on just going. She's looked that age for 50 years. <laughs> Don't keep, please ignore me. Keep that's, going. That's a side but Yeah. So what's really interesting, and that I only actually heard this week in this concert, is that number six is actually kind of a continuation of number five, even though they musically sound really disparate. So the theme we'll hear uh, right at the beginning of the first movement of number six is this like stormy, violent theme. We've got the violins playing a tune in F minor against Ooh. an accompaniment in E minor, which is only a semitone away. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> yeah. So not meant to fit together at all, really. But this theme actually comes from the Fifth Symphony, the last movement of the, first, of the Fifth Symphony. Right. So but it's, it's like tucked in the text. You don't really notice it. But then in this talk oh. I went to, you kind of hear that it's sort of a continuation. It keeps going. So he didn't, as a writer, didn't view his pieces as like discrete things. It was sort of like he just kept churning out music and they sort of Linked overlapped and, and borrowed yeah, from each other. Sick. Yeah, So even in his Fifth Symphony, it's, he wrote what he referred to as a morality, which was a kind of an opera basically called Pilgrim's Progress. And he borrowed loads oh. of musical ideas from this and stuffed the Fifth, fifth Symphony full of them. Right. So he was like quite fond of doing this, of just like having mm. this sort of churning vat of musical ideas that he would be like, I'm, <laughs> sorry, that was a slightly <laughs> gross analogy, wasn't it? Churning vat. Well done, Ruth. Carry, carry on. A spin cycle yeah. of new ideas and we'd occasionally be like, and here's another symphony. <laughs> um, so he's dead good. Anyway. He's really good. Let's listen to the opening of Symphony Number no. 6 now. Oh, I'm super excited. And let me know what you think of it. Can't wait. <laughs> 
Just happened. Okay, so I can see how if you only know Vaughan Williams through like the Lark Ascending. Oh my god. That's a bit of a shock. I cannot believe that. If someone played that to me and asked me who, like, I would never have guessed Rafi. Yeah, no, it's not. It's it almost sounds like Shostakovich. I think. Yeah. Violent and and aggressive and everything that I always thought Rafe wasn't. Yeah, no, that's the thing, and that's why because of when it was uh, premiered, which is 1948, Mm. people sort of tried to impose meanings on it. So I'll talk you through the structure of it a bit, and then talk a bit like how people tried to impose meaning and how Rafe sort of resisted that. Right. So what's unusual about this symphony is that. so it's in four movements but they're all linked together so usually you have like pauses in between movements of the symphony yeah but this just keeps going so there there are no pauses in between the movements okay so that first movement which we just heard that's this f minor versus e minor craziness clashing yeah yeah in the second movement there's this rat-a-tat rhythm that's like da 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 that keeps on coming over and over again so there's this like feeling of dread really really ominous the third movement uh, gets really texturally dense and fugal so uh, like we were talking about with Bach the other week Mm. who was the king of fugues um, which is where you've got (laughs) counterpoints so you've got one instrument playing a tune then another comes in playing another tune sort of weaves over each other linking and lunking including a tenor saxophone solo which is pretty unusual (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) then the fourth movement uh, which is a astonishing really so it's um basically people try to impose a reading on it whereby it's like the aftermath of a nuclear bomb so it's yeah it's like this absolute desolate bare pretty much only strings um and they're playing at pianissimo for the whole movement so for about 12 minutes they're like as quiet as you can possibly play so it's like the fallout Zone. That's what people yeah. have tried to say, and even in the markings, he's put senza crescendo, senza espressivo, which means don't get no, louder, no, yeah. don't play with any <laughs> expression. <laughs> so, in terms of like a purely physical standpoint for string players to play this, like as quietly as they physically can, it's really, really technically difficult to do. Oh my god! Um, and because it's so sort of sparse and really, really impactful. People are trying to say, oh, of course, well, we just dropped the nuclear bombs a couple of years ago, so that's yeah, what this is like. Yeah, and sort of the Cold War. and. But yeah. Rafey Baby was like, no. It never seems to occur to people that a man might just want to write a piece of music. <laughs> Which is Actually, you know says. what? God bless Rafe, because that's so true. Or it's like, you know, when you're analysing a poem at GCSE and you're like, yes, the curtains are talking about her breasts and blah. And actually, maybe she's just talking about curtains. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, but I think that given the historical context it was put in, there's no way he can't have been influenced by that. He was playing that. it down, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And eventually, what he did say that this final movement had something to do with was a quote from The Tempest by Shakespeare. So it's, we are such stuff as dreams are made on and our little life is rounded with sleep. Mm-hmm. So a slightly more poetic view rather like, BOOM! Great line, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just the most like astonishingly desolate and powerful piece that is such a departure from what people traditionally think of as sort of Vaughan Williams' style. Totally. 
having said that, the next piece we're going to talk about is what people normally think of when they think of Vaughan Williams and oh, style. Oh, I can't wait. Not classical, classical podcast. Not classical podcast. So, as a reward for listening to that really tough music, <laughs> yep. uh, we're now going to look at a piece that came a little bit earlier. So, this one was written in 1910 and revised again in 1913, 1919. Okay. And it's called Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. Tallis! Our friend Tallis! Our old pal Tallis, who'd spemmed in his allium. Spemmed all over his allium. If you want to hear more about that, <laughs> uh, look back to our call episode. It's a real banger, that one. Indeed it is. Is it a real banger? It's another banger. Keep going. Um, so Rafe was big into his folk tunes, his Tudor music. Aren't we all? All, his, all your sort of like, <laughs> your old English stuff, basically. Green sleeves, yeah. So he went around and collected lots of folk tunes that were only really sung by people and recorded them and wrote them down and incorporated lots of them into his writing. Sick. As well as that, he also went back to our pal Talis, who was in sort of the 1500s, I think he died in 1585, mm. and took... Uh, a theme from one of his pieces and composed this beautiful string orchestra piece. Okay. Um, and so this is super famous, along with, uh, if you cast your minds all the way back to the very first episode of that classical podcast, oh. when we were little babies. That was like a year ago. It was. Um, the Lark Ascending. Oh. So The Lark Ascending and Fantasia on a Theme by Talis are currently at numbers one and three, respectively, in the Classic FM Hall of Fame. Oh my god. I know, right? Wow. So these are the pieces that are sort of pretty well known yeah. amongst people. Used in adverts and films sure. and yeah. things like this. They're, they're mm. spread around. We've heard of them. So let's <laughs> have a listen. It's a yeah. just, <laughs> just to remind ourselves <laughs> okay. what it sounds like. Here we go. Oh, isn't it just? Oh. It's so. It's like a big warm hug of a piece. It's like a big warm cup of cocoa in a <laughs> like field pouring somewhere. Pouring cocoa over your head. <laughs> That's exactly what this piece is like. Um, absolutely lovely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a contemporary review of it uh, from the Times that said. The work is wonderful because it seems to lift one into some unknown region of musical thought and feeling. Throughout its course, one is never sure whether one is listening to something very old or very new. That's so true because, I mean, I guess the whole point of him taking things from Thomas Tallis, the kind of ancient medieval uh, sort of borrowing yeah. helps because if you, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And all the, the kind of uh, folk music that's passed on, you know, from generation to generation, it's always going to sound timeless. Exactly, yeah. That. So I he's got this it. very English sound through borrowing old English composers' tunes and folk tunes yeah. and sort of marrying them with his more sort of, I guess, modern sensibilities and ways of writing. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just wonderful, yeah. Maybe everyone should have, like, a mistress 39 years <laughs> to their junior. It'll work for Rafe, it can work for you. Well, that was absolutely lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, my 
funny. It's that classical podcast. Is that funny? So if we learned one thing today from looking at Sibelius and Vaughan Williams, it's that eating loads of lobster and carry on with a woman four decades younger than you <laughs> is the route to success. <laughs> is the route to bangers. <laughs> um, absolutely um, tosh and piffle. Um, but that was so great. I loved it. I Yeah, thanks. I, I'm so impressed with that um, Vaughan Williams piece that you played, the crazy one. I'm, I'm so never going to forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, never forget it. But lads and lasses, um, if you've enjoyed today's show, please go out and uh, do some investigation on the composers uh, yourself and tweet us what you find, your favourite pieces maybe um you can tweet us at christopher at that classical and what about our instagram at that classical insta are we on facebook that classical podcast oh my gosh what else do we have a gmail that classical email at gmail.com very clever i wonder who came up with that (laughs) (laughs) um right so yeah and other than that uh if you fancy it and if you've enjoyed the show um please head over to itunes and leave us a a cheeky five star review. We'd really like that. It really helps other people um, find the show. Who it really seen it does, yet, and so um, we absolutely love hearing from you. Um, and we're so happy that we're getting a few of you into classical music. So that's great. And uh, yeah, otherwise, see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>